Welcome to the Grow with Tech podcast. Listen to inspiring stories and learn how businesses can grow with technology. Get inspired and motivated with the world's leading innovators. This podcast is brought to you by InfoShare, the biggest tech conference in Central and Eastern Europe. Everything begins from the pitch deck. Crucial first impression, counting for the match. And as if it's possible to enter the investor's mind to see what they are looking for. Well, we can help. It's your host Wojciech. We will talk about how the investment process looks like, how a startup can prepare to cooperate with an investor, and what main factors can convince VC, even from the other continent, to invest in your project. Okay, our uh, guest today is Michael Raga, Principal Growth Equity at DTCP Capital. Thank you, Michael, for finding time to join us. Thank you. The pleasure is certainly mine. Okay, so before we start with the first question, I need to ask you about your responsibilities in the fund. So uh, what it means to be the Principal Growth Equity? What it means that uh, sort of being the principal of the European uh, growth equity that I'm responsible for finding and investing in uh, growth startups in Europe from our perspective, the especially B2B SaaS startups, but we'll talk about that in a second, I think. And once we've invested, work with them and uh, do all I can to help them grow. That's sort of in a very short nutshell. Okay, thank you. Thank you, because uh, a lot of our audience are at the beginning of their, um, I would say, career to be a startupper or to to found a startup. So they need to know what it means, uh, your function. Okay. So talking about startups, often the first formal contact between a VC and a startup is a pitch deck. Uh, if you were to send a pitch deck to a VC, What should be included in it? Is there any difference in the materials depending on the startup development stage? Yeah, I'd say there is a there is a big difference uh, depending on the startup stage. Obviously, sort of the high level points they are they're always the same. But I think if you're a seed stage startup, then um, a lot of focus goes into the team. Uh, what is your expertise as a team? What is your edge for the tip, specific topic that you're trying to solve? Um, and what's the problem that you're actually solving? How big is that? Um, how are you doing it? Um, why is no one else doing it as good as as you're intending to do it? And, and what's your sustainable edge here? Um, and first thoughts on this is how we think we're going to make money down the road. But at Seed, it's it's more about you and your idea and and how you want to solve it. Uh, so more um, on on that. And um, the the later the stage, the more it's about numbers, about uh, scaling the team, um, scaling the go to marketing, uh, go to market. Um, how are your underlying efficiencies in terms of uh, sales efficiencies, cash efficiencies? What's your net retention on your customers? These are all things that become more important the larger you are um, and the less important the earlier you are in, in your journey because you simply don't have the numbers at that point. <laughs> um, so what I always would try to make sure um, is sort of to come across or bring across very, very uh, crisp. What is it? What is the problem that you're trying to solve? Who has that headache actually? And how do you want to do it? And 
one thing that I consistently or quite often um, miss in pitch decks, sort of why am I reading this? So what do you want from me? How much money do you want to raise? Um, <clears throat> and what do you want to use it for? That's That should be in, in any kind of deck, I would say. Okay, so if you don't have the numbers because you are at the early stage, you're still developing the, the product. So uh, what builds trust in the, that pitch deck? I mean, you always see the team, but uh, what kind of information you like to see in the pitch deck that will build trust? You say, okay, these guys are available. I, I will talk with them. Well, I mean, if, if, if they're able to bring across the, the problem in a way that is easily digestible and understandable um, and sort of their idea on how to solve that is somewhat unique and, and I think, oh, that, that could actually make sense. Um, then, and I don't know 25 other companies who just told me the same story um, over the last few weeks, then this obviously is intriguing. And then immediately sort of you start talking to the, to the team. Um, and what builds trust here is actually the conversation with the team. Uh, you, you talk to the founders and you get a feeling for, ooh, they, they do have expertise in, in that sector. They do know what they're talking about. And there is a big chance that we differ in how we see certain things. But that's absolutely that's absolutely okay. Assuming that you have the first meeting with with the startup, uh, what kind of informations are, are like a little use and in, in the pitch deck at the beginning of your contact about in the beginning with the contact with you? In the very beginning, try to keep it sort of crystal clear, crisp, and short. If um, you draft your seed stage pitch deck and you're nearing 50 pages because you put in a lot of details on product market and things like that, that's too long. That's um, if the, the the initial assessment from from a VC's perspective, especially the the seed investors, they see I don't know a thousand, two thousand startups a year, and. Typically, an, an initial assessment of a deck takes around two minutes. And in those two minutes, um, I, I need to be able to immediately see, oh, this is actually, this makes sense. This is interesting. Here, I want to learn more. And so don't overdo it with, with detailed, granular um, information in, in that sense. No, I often... When I was, when I had my own startup, uh, before sending even the pitch deck, I tried to send a uh, one pager where you have only the basic information. And it was like a normal meeting. I didn't, I didn't contact me by the website, the phone, but I met in person an investor and say, okay, send me something. I say, okay, I will send you one, one page. It's like, okay, for you, then you can decide. Uh, do you want to talk to me? Yeah, we can do that. So the thing that if you could send, uh, your entire business model, your market, your solution, the team, put it in one uh, page, that would be the right solution. One page would be very extreme. Uh, if you try to do it in one page, you typically end up in almost a word-like document. Mm -hmm. um, investors like pictures. <laughs> but, but sort of a seed deck that uh, has, I don't know, let's say six to eight or maximum 10 slides. One or two slides on the team, one, two slides on, or three slides on the product two slides on the market and sort of one slide of this is how we want to grow and, and think about pricing that that will do the trick in the beginning i think if this doesn't create the interest at the investor side to to actually start the conversation 45 other pages with more detailed information won't do the trick either
But one one slide would be that would be a very short, very short piece. Okay. okay. Um, once I was in yeah, I was in Berlin. I, I remember uh, I was I was part of a startup bootcamp accelerator, and I heard a story that or yeah, it was no, it was a, a view of one of the startups that. You had to send a pitch deck specific to the uh, to the investor, not use the the found website for from some reason, uh, because they are like, oh, this is more personal, it's easier. Do you agree with this point of view, or it's just a myth? A hundred percent agree. I absolutely do agree. Um, quite frankly, sort of, I've been an investor now for for almost seven years. We never did a deal that came through the info ad uh, mailbox. Um, and uh, at least sort of, I, I can recommend at least sort of try to, if you don't know the people, try to reach out via LinkedIn and with a one-liner pitch, this is what we do, may I send you a deck? Um, or in an, in an ideal scenario, um, see if someone from your network knows someone there and can give you a warm introduction. Um, that's That's actually ideal. Um, because this way you ensure that, that your deck gets actually looked at, at properly. And th this, <laughs> this, by the way, it is not a one-way street. It works the same way for investors. Um, the, the, the better the introduction from as you get as an investor to the company, typically the better the conversation and, and so vice versa. So I would always agree, uh, try to reach out to, to someone specifically. Okay. You know, you surprised me a little with that answer, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Let's now think about a startup in, when he's trying to look at an investor from uh, abroad. So, how a startup should prepare to look for an investor that is outside its country or even the continent? I think the, the general preparation sh should be the same as if you look uh, as an investor um, from within the companies. Um, get an idea of. What do you actually want or need from an investor? Is it uh, specific sector expertise, specific uh, geo that you say, okay, I want to go to the US, this is why I want a US investor, or um, a specific sum that you intend to raise, which sort of cuts out of a few investors already? Um, and, and then um, see who falls in that category. Um, at global scale, that's sort of a tedious effort to, to, to find all of them. But in, the, in this respect, I'm still actually a fan of, of conferences to be efficient. If I look at, I don't know, SaaS talk, SaaS slash, so to name a few conferences there, um, or InfoShare for, I mean, your conference for, for that example, um, Investors, in, investors do attend these conferences and they always sort of are happy to receive the participants list a week or two in advance to see what are startups that could be relevant for me there and, um, and then try to get in contact with, with the relevant uh, startups from, from their perspective. And then you have two days of back-to-back -back meetings with startups or in this case, investors. And um, so I, I like this as a way of, of getting to know as, as many people as quickly as possible um, and just make sure that um, you are also approaching the right funds there. So if you're raising a 500k seed round, maybe it's a bit early to talk to funds who write a minimum of $10 million checks. Um, and um, this is sort of a bit of, of homework. But I think 
if it's getting access to those investors, uh, either the direct outreach we, we talked about um, just before, or conferences. Because investors are looking for you as a startup as well. <laughs> okay, so it's a typical practice that, for example, I, I have a founder that wants to invest me, but he's, for example, in, in Germany. I'm from Poland. So typically the found request that the, the, the whole team transfer, uh, to, for example, to Germany or transfer only the company to, Ger to Germany. No, no. I, 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 there may be funds that, that have that requirement, um, but that's not a fear that I would have per, per se. Also, I mean, the, from a German perspective, it used to be the case that in the earlier stages, uh, US investors um, had a bit of sort of, oh, I only want to invest in an Inc and not sort of in a, in a GmbH because this is more familiar with that, but also that changed nowadays. And um, Maybe further down the road, it makes sense to sort of establish, I don't know, US Inc. If you really want to go to the US and, and have IPO um, in, inside there that you want to do. But I I do not see that as a as a big problem or, or showstopper, quite frankly. And especially reallocating the whole team from, from Poland to Germany. No, no, no that, that's not a fear I would have. Okay, thank you for expanding that. So, Michael, you represent DTCP Capital. Could you please tell, could you please tell me a bit about the fund? What industries are you interested in? In what phase startups should be should apply to you? And from what area of the world are you looking for startups? Happy to. So, um, DTCP is a European investment management group. We we own ourselves um, since we've been spun out from from DT as a standalone entity back in 2015. Um, since 2018, we have sort of a, a broad LP base, um, and uh, in total, I think we raised uh, roughly a, a billion dollar in in funds from from corporate and institutional investors. We've invested in over 60 companies in in predominantly two asset classes: growth capital and digital infrastructure capital. We have uh, 40 people um, that are active mainly in in Hamburg for Europe. Uh, Tel Aviv and Menlo Park. And if we're looking at uh, the growth funds um, and especially sort of the, the, the growth equity part where I'm, where I'm working at, we are looking at um, B2B SaaS enterprise software company that typically have uh, an ARR of roughly 10, 5 to 10 million and above. So series B or later where we can invest between 10 to 50 million euros or dollars. Um, that's sort of the our our sweet spot here, and um, uh, yeah, we've the companies that we've invested in include Fastly, that's on IPO, uh, Pipedrive, um, that uh, from from Estonia, um, Signavio, that was recently bought by, by SAP, Aircall in France. So it's all. Um, uh, B2B SaaS companies. We are vertical agnostic um, and we are very, very numbers driven, uh, I would say, as we are in the later stages. Um, and there is already a decent amount of, of numbers there. We developed our own sort of flight path model where we can see very, very quickly in, a, in an automated fashion um, um, where the company or how the company benchmarks against sort of relevant peers at, at global scale. Um, and uh, also provide that feedback to the company um, to to provide sort of a bit of insights to them as well. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so I'd say later stage B2B SaaS companies in, in a nutshell. And um, what, what we also bring, uh, try to bring is sort of connections, obviously, within our investor base and our old NLP base um, where, or our network, where I'd say half of our portfolio um, really does uh, have tangible revenue streams with our sponsors, network partners, and so on. And from a geography perspective, yes. I mean, Europe, Israel, and the US, these are the main geographies. So I understand that you have also support for, for corporates, right? Yeah, and our LP base includes uh, corporate investors as well, yes. But from a fund perspective, we're, we're your, your typical growth equity um, financial investor, I'd say. Okay, so you mentioned Europe, uh, Israel, other parts of the world. So could you please share a case study of a startup from the sea region that you have invested? Yeah, I think prime prime example there, obviously, for us is Pipedrive. Um, <laughs> you know, Estonians are very popular on this on our podcast, really. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's great to hear, and and uh, quite frankly, we love Estonia as well. <laughs> also. <laughs> so, Pipedrive um, is is sort of that was um, that was a very or still is to this day um, uh, a very nice journey. Um, we um, back that goes already many years back. We started sort of using Pipedrive um, as a product as a CRM. So we um, we came from that angle, loved the brand already back then and the way they do things. Um, we actually had the first interaction with the company at a, at a conference, uh, touched our conversation earlier, um, re-engaged with them or touch base again when they did their Series C back in, in 2018. Um, loved the team, brand, product, metrics were outstanding. And uh, so that was a very, very quick and fast investment process from from our perspective and um, then had the the luck that uh, we we were able to to invest in them and and work with them over the years and um, did our best i'd say to to help uh, grow the company build out the team um, streamline some marketing activities there and um, yeah late last year vista equity acquired the, the majority um, of pipe drive um, but to this day, we remain a shareholder and uh, we enjoyed every day of that journey so far and we're still enjoying it every day. So It is a prime example of a good investment. Okay, so let's, let's return now to startup, startup VC perspective. Uh, what is the main factor that convinces you to invest in someone in a startup? Um, in, in a nutshell, team, product and efficient traction. Um, uh, the, the sort of if if you if you really can connect to the to the team also on a personal level that is that is very important and also again that's not a one way street it's it's for both sides because typically during that startup journey um, there will be times where it rains simply not always everything goes right and then it's very very important that that you have a trusted relationship where you actually want to call each other. <laughs> And, and and talk to each other on on how to solve things and so that's a very important um, obviously the product needs to be good um, and differentiated um, and uh, as we are in the in the growth equity um, side of things 
you you have reliable numbers and you can see okay this is the traction that they are have um, this is the underlying efficiency and um, if that also works out well um, it ticks a lot of boxes in terms of okay this sort of the market needs that solution and it's a good product it's a sticky product um, and uh, so these these I think would be the, the the main contributing factors for for a decision on our end okay if you had to choose the main one, I know it's not, a, it's not an easy question. I know it's so many perspectives, but if you have to. Yeah, the, the main one would be a, a combination of team and efficient traction. Okay. So let's think about, the, um, I would say it, uh, from the other side. What makes you lose interest in the startup? What are the biggest mistakes startup make in relations with, with investors? Um, what obviously is a red flag if you get the feeling that they're not on, on top of their things. So at the later stages, if, if there is a CEO who's not on top of his numbers, that's almost a red flag because you have a sort of expectancy on, on, on their visibility into their own company. Um, and uh, from a startup perspective also if, if uh, they're a bit overly selling if you grow from one to ten to a hundred million by actually not using cash or burning cash that at least raises a question mark um, uh, that though is is also dependent on on who you on the investor that you're talking to, there is investors who say, "Yeah, I don't, I don't care about that. It's more about other factors." That's just a personal. But I, I'd rather sort of have the clear view. Okay, this is how we do stuff, and this is how we develop, and then sort of the company actually develops according to plan. Um, and and um, one other thing that, uh, but that's not really. Uh, um, a mistake on the startup side if if I simply don't see the solution scale either in general or that easy um, and and just don't see the fit it's I don't lose the interest in the startup but it it certainly prevents us from investing okay, so could describe the investment process how long does it usually take to get an investment from VC so um, I think the investment process is, is is pretty straightforward here. Where where in an ideal scenario, when there is no COVID, you actually meet the team, <laughs> then talk about product, have a have a close look at numbers. As I said, we're very metrics driven, um, and do reference call with with customers um, uh, and things like that, um, and then agree on a term sheet. And after the term sheet, you have confirmatory due diligence where you then sort of look at legal things as well and draft the, the, the proper investment um, documents. Typically, in an ideal scenario, it takes two to rather three weeks to a term sheet mm. and then sort of four to six weeks for confirmatory due diligence. And I think that is a, that is a fairly typical time frame. Um, there is, depending on the dynamics of the round, etc., um, it can be faster as well, um, or take a bit longer. But I think that is what I what I would expect. If um, if you're a seed company and uh, think about okay, how much time it will take to actually raise money, I would factor in a quarter, quarter to four four months 
at least just to be a bit on the on the safe side. Did you ever experience a situation where, for example, a startup entered the negotiation process and you thought they are not ready for investment and they returned to you, for example, a year later and they were better prepared or more investable? Did you have this kind of situation? Is this often? Yeah, it uh, that that happens quite regularly, uh, which is less so that I'd say uh, a startup was not well enough prepared, but rather, as I said, we, we sort of invest from five rather 10 million in ARR and above. So if you look talking to a company that is at one and a half to two million in ARR, it, it simply is too too early for you. Um, and uh, and uh, but then it's it's great actually, and I also again think for both sides, if you already know each other, if you have talked to each other and got to know each other in a situation where you could both be very transparent because it was clear there was there was no investment at, at this point. And um, and then once sort of you're there and the company is in the in the right traction uh, range and the round is 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 of a right size, then things can go faster because you know each other. You you know okay. Last year I talked to the CEO. He promised he would be at this traction or at this ARR stage. And you know what? He's fairly close. Um, so you know, okay, I can rely on what he says. And um, maybe from the investor side, you could make one or two introductions that actually helped him along that way during that year. So he also knows, okay, I get something from working with this with this investor. And so this is a, a typical um, situation where we are engaged with, with companies for one... Five years actually before it uh, actually the, the opportunity arises that you can can invest and uh, that's that's okay. Okay, so last questions for today. If you had to sum up based on your experience, what should a startup prepare for when when it decides to cooperate with uh, with a VC? I think first and foremost, make sure that VC is the right way to go. <laughs> so. so there is you can have financing in different flavors and what sort of if if you have a VC investing in your company that always means at I would say 99% of the cases that there will be an an exit at the end of this joint journey so if if you want to build something where you say oh i i love this i want to retire with this company um, which is an absolutely fair and 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 a great achievement. Then VC might not be the right thing um, because they think differently. They have a different time horizon. Um, be um, be open to to advice. Um, I think it's a pity if you have an investor join and then sort of ignore what he says. Not always, investors are not always right, so I'm not suggesting that, but at least the openness to, to have this discussion um, and then also be ready or, or prepare to get ready from a governance perspective. Typically, uh, with RVC, you have um, sort of certain reporting requirements, um, you have board meetings and things like that, there is a, a different level of transparency or maturity of the organization that is expected. 
um, and that sort of increases the later you or the larger you get uh, from investor to investor. And um, so that's what I would prepare for for mentally. Um, yeah, but I, I've. I have not come across many cases where this was was an was a big issue. Okay, Michael, thank you for your time. It was it was great to hear from you and talk about the perspective of a VC about startups and how they can prepare to to cooperate with you. So uh, I hope that our listeners and maybe they are now developing a SaaS project will contact you and and write to you. Oh, I heard about you on the podcast. <laughs> Oh, well, um, so, uh, a, thanks a lot for having me. It really was a pleasure. And obviously, um, as I said, reach out to, to me or to my colleagues via LinkedIn or people that that uh, we we both know. Uh, always happy to to start conversations, even if it's a bit too early uh, at this point in time. Okay, thank you, Michael, for your time. See you on a conference when it will be possible to see each other. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Grow With Tech podcast from InfoShare. This episode has ended, but your time with us doesn't have to. Head on over to infoshare.pl and hit subscribe. You will be joining a truly innovative society and get inspired by the world of technology. That's infoshare.pl. Have a great day ahead.